Hello and welcome to the CSF Rheumatology Author Interview Podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in Brisbane. And today we're very fortunate to have with us uh, Professor Roy Fleischman from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. Welcome, Roy, and thank you very much for giving up your time. Thank you, Peter. Um, Roy, tell us a little bit before we get into this article how the COVID situation is where you're working and maybe a bit of how it's affected the way you can work. Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. So as you know, I'm spending much of my time now in research uh, in our unit. Um, our unit uh, is divided into two. We have the, the research unit, we have the practice. Um, what's happened in the practice has been, although we've been open all the way through COVID, we find that there are many patients who are unwilling to come in. So we're down probably 30, 40% in patient visits. And that means that we're doing more telemedicine. And telemedicine, uh, although there are great proponents of it, as we both know, uh, it does lack. Uh, you can't see a patient, you can't examine a patient, and certainly you can't get laboratory. So these are some of the problems that we have. And interestingly, uh, we're not seeing new patients. And we're not seeing new patients because patients aren't going to their primary care physician when they have symptoms and they're not being referred. And um, just a little bit about yourself for the audience. Most people know you, Roy, but just a little bit about your background, where you trained, how you came to be where you are and your, your particular interests in rheumatology. When I was at Columbia, I was recruited to Dallas by Marzef, who many people remember because uh, during my fellowship and well i was on staff at columbia as well i was doing clinical practice but also doing clinical research uh, and what morris needed was he needed clinicians because he had a very good basic laboratory and he was very interested in clinical research so i came to dallas actually by airplane i, I kind of remember <laughs> what they what they were like um, and uh was on the campus of the university taught at the school, uh, opened a private practice, and started a research center. And this was in the late 1970s. Uh, and uh, that's where we've been in Dallas. Talking about clinical trials, we've found there's a big hole now in collecting data on these patients in all these trials that'll be sort of three to six months long where we, they're not coming in to be examined and they're not getting their bloods. It's gonna be a nightmare to, to assess these trials. Well, in the States, the, our unit has remained open, and we have seen patients who were enrolled in trials. We've seen all the patients enrolled in trials. We had holds on many of the protocols for new protocols, which just didn't start up, or we didn't uh, uh, recruit new patients into studies. It was patients who were already in the studies. So we do have the data. Uh, but just as well, because it's going to be yeah. difficult otherwise. Yeah, but it's slow. Okay, so let's talk about this particular study that was recently published in Arthritis Care and Research in the August edition, which is looking at the long-term extension of RA Begin. So perhaps if you just mention a little bit about what RA Begin did. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about Barry first. So Barry is a JAK1-2 inhibitor. 
which has shown efficacy both, both as monotherapy and in combination with conventional synthetic DMARDs in patients who are methotrexate naive or conventional synthetic DMARD IR or biologic DMARD IR, and was found to be superior to adalimumab by ACR metrics in a head-to-head -head study. Uh, it very, does improve uh, patient-reported outcomes and inhibits radiographic regression. Two milligrams is the approved dose in the U.S. and Canada, but both two and four milligrams were approved in many countries uh, around the world. In this study, which is RA Begin, what we did was we took patients who were methotrexate naive and treated them either with uh, methotrexate up to 20 milligrams a week or baricitinib, four milligrams, monotherapy, or baricitinib plus methotrexate. And that was in the base study, it already began. And the result of that study was that baricitinib monotherapy and the combination therapy looked to be equally effective clinically and functionally and better than methotrexate. But in terms of radiographic progression, only the combination was superior to methotrexate, not the monotherapy. As part of this study, uh, the long-term extension, the immediate long-term extension was to take patients from the primary study and put them all in baricitinib monotherapy, four milligrams. Everyone went on four milligrams. So methotrexate went to Barry four, Barry plus methotrexate went to Barry four, and the patients on Barry four maintained Barry four. Uh, and so what we were looking at was whether or not you can maintain efficacy with Barry 4 and did it do better than methotrexate and so on and so forth. What we found was, was that indeed uh, many of the patients who were methotrexate who went to baricitinib 4 milligrams monotherapy actually did better. And uh, many of the patients who were on the combination did well with monotherapy. Uh, and, and patients on the monotherapy continue to do well. Uh, part of this protocol, though, was that you, the physician, uh, he or she could add methotrexate to the monotherapy at their discretion. There was no criteria for it. And about 50% of the patients in all three groups, the patients who were methotrexate went to Barry, patients who are method um, uh, berry monotherapy or the patients a combination went to, to berry monotherapy added methotrexate we analyzed that group of patients and what was the difference what was the difference to the patients who who added the methotrexate and it turned out that the patients in the primary study who were doing relatively well when they went into the lte actually didn't uh, have methotrexate added it was the patients who had the higher C dye, higher S dye, um, who, when they went to monotherapy, still didn't do as well. And then those were the patients that had methotrexate uh, added. So, can you remind us? Sorry, yeah. we'll come to the conclusion. Can you remind us, Roy, about the C dye and S dye and why that was important in Jack's studies for the audience, please? Yeah, so I'll remind you because you probably forgot it, but the <laughs> Jack. The, the JAKs can and do affect IL-6. Uh, IL-6 is a key cytokine in terms of CRP. So if you're looking at a DOS-28 CRP, you can get a better result in the DOS-28 when you use a JAK just because of the effect of the IL-6, and it's just because of the effect on the CRP. Uh, 
so we in this study we actually used the CDI. So there was no CRP that was involved. We used the CDI as our primary endpoint. Right. And look, the CDI is popular in Europe. I always thought the US was a rapid three country. Can you tell us is is CDI being used in the US? It's certainly not being used routinely in Australia. Yeah, so in my group, everybody does a CDI. Everybody does a CDI. I actually also do DOS 28 because I've been doing it for years, but it's a DOS 28 ESR, not a CRP. Uh, but nobody else, I think, does a DOS 28 uh, ESR or CRP. Uh, we look at RAPID3, but RAPID3 is really a patient-reported outcome. It's not the same as the CDI. It is the clinical. So I look at uh, the CDI and the RAPID3. In the U.S., there are many rheumatologists who use the RAPID-3 because uh, the patient fills it out. It's easy to, 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 to get Doing the data. Doing the waiting room. Yeah, yep. in the waiting room. It's easy to get the data. Uh, but as you know very well, because we, we've talked about this, even though they get the RAPID-3 or they, get, or they do a CDI, maybe they'll respond to it or not. So it, it really is probably... <laughs> It really is problematic. But the CDI is becoming more and more popular in the US. And can you tell us a little bit about which of those patients you would be suggesting, let's go combo rather than mono, based on some of the results of this study? The X-ray, we understand there is an advantage of combo over mono. Um, is there anything in the baseline characteristics that said, really stick to combo if you can, um, because just looking at the tables, it appeared the people with the CDIs around 10, about half of them wound up on methotrexate, whereas those with the CDI around 2.8 or 3, not that high percentage changed over. So is there any sort of baseline characteristics that might help the clinician? Yeah, so the baseline characteristic in this, in this long-term extension, right, mm. Sure. Uh, is that the patients who continue to have disease activity should have modification of their uh, medication. Uh, the baseline characteristics in uh, RA begin when we started the study, you couldn't tell who would do what. But as you, but as you know, Peter, uh, I know you know this quite well, uh, what this study has shown, we've shown the same thing with tofacitinib and oral strategy. Uh, we've seen the same thing with phlegotinib actually, in, in their studies. We haven't seen it with upadacitinib because they haven't done the study. Sure. But with each of the three drugs that have done the study, it turns out that patients on combo generally do better than patients on mono, but there are many patients who do well on mono. So what I do in my practice and what I teach is, uh, you're gonna start with methotrexate because it's cheap and that's the drug you're supposed to use. And if the patient doesn't achieve uh, the goal of therapy, which is remission or maybe very low disease activity, add the jack, add the jack. And then when they achieve what you're looking for, what the patient's looking for, then try and get rid of the, mono, the, uh, the methotrexate. And in my experience, uh, I think what this study showed, which was 50% of patients who were able to discontinue methotrexate, I've shown with Tofacitinib, about 70% of patients were able to uh, discontinue methotrexate. The true number is somewhere between those two. So many patients can't discontinue. But I would not start with the mono if the patient can 
tolerate methotrexate. Methotrexate. And did, was it, were you po able from this particular long-term extension to see those people who went to mono, restarted MTX, you could recapture them? Was that able to be yes. shown? Yes, we okay, discussed so that. Yeah, we discussed that in the paper as well. Okay, so that's a big advantage. Now, safety, of course, is critical. Um, that's the black box about VTE led to the two milligram dose. Can you just comment on a little bit on the two milligram dose and how it's being used in the US and then maybe safety from this long-term extension? It's used in the US and it isn't used very much. Uh, okay. so, so what's problematic here is that the two milligram was in two of the four studies that Lily did with baricitinib. But in both of those studies, the two milligram actually worked. It didn't work quite as well as the four, but it did work. It worked in TNF incomplete responders and conventional synthetic BMART incomplete responders. So we do have patients that we treat with two milligrams, and, the, and there are patients who do well with it. In the U.S., we have uh, an unusual health system uh, in, terms of in terms of medication. Uh, where the insurance companies will tell you, you must start here or must start there. Uh, it turns out that you pad a synonym because Avi also has Humira, right? Adalimumab. Yep. Yep. Uh, is uh, attractive to many of the insurance companies because of the rebates that they get or the discounts that they can give. So it isn't the preferred drug by, by some insurance companies, but the two milligrams does work, but, but it isn't used as much. Uh, and I, I, I think that in the rest of the world, that's what I hear too when I speak to you or speak to Professor Tsunaka from Japan or speak to Joseph Smolin from Vienna. It's usually the four milligram and you, then you go to the two milligram uh, if the four milligram worked very well or an older patient, a patient with renal disease. And so many clinicians are worried about the VTE. Is this a JAK2? Is it a class effect? Firstly, your thoughts on that issue and then maybe any VTE, any zoster, any signals coming up in the long-term extension to guide us with safety with baristatinib? So that's a very complicated question. Um, let me answer the second part first. So in the long-term extension of baristatinib, where they had both two milligrams and four milligrams and RA beyond, um, the, the events, the VTE events were exactly the same with two and four milligrams. There was no protection of two milligrams versus four milligrams. When the FDA made its determination, they made it only on the first 12 weeks placebo controlled, where there were no VTEs with two milligrams and there were four with the four milligrams. But that was a very convoluted, uh, questionable decision. Um, the question about whether VTEs are really related to JAKs or they're, way, or they're related to all of our medications, or related to RA, it's really not clear in my mind. When we went through the TREC analysis from Euler, there was a very interesting abstract coming from Sweden, which has a really good safety database, where it turned out that the VTE was related to disease activity. And patients at high disease activity had twice uh, the, uh, uh, the risk of developing a VTE versus somebody who didn't have uh, disease activity. So I think this whole question is very complicated. Um, I'm not sure that the, the, the JAKS, in spite of the FDA, in spite of the EMA, um, uh, really increase the risk that much. They may, but I don't know that we have all the answers yet. And if they do, we don't know why they do. Sure.
So the safety, any safety information from the long-term extension that you can help There was with. nothing that occurred in the long-term extension that we didn't know before. Uh, you did get an instance of herpes zoster. There were a few VTEs. Uh, you can't get elevation of lipids. You can get neutropenia. Um, you know, but it always, it always, seems, always seems a combo has a touch more SAEs than the monos or the MTXs. Because of the MTX. Now you have MTX plus the, the jack. So that's very true. So lip function test abnormalities uh, are much higher in combinations with any of the jacks than the monotherapies. It's one of the reasons why I like the monotherapy. Patients like the monotherapy yeah. for lots of reasons. Okay. So uh, your conclusions from the study and a take-home message for the clinician. So my conclusions from the study was if the patient does well, does well uh, on four milligrams mono, they will probably continue to do well on four milligrams mono. If they're doing very well on the combination, you can certainly try and do the mono. Uh, if the patient's on methotrexate, not doing quite as well, they might do better on um, uh, baricin four milligrams mono. Uh, my take message is, is I do think that baricin is a worthwhile drug. I think it's quite effective. Um, I would add baricinib to methotrexate and then try and reduce it. And I think you'll be successful at least 50% of the time. Excellent. Thank you. So if in the future, looking into your crystal ball and generic jacks are very cheap, can you see the day, <laughs> can you see the day when jacks come first rather than methotrexate? So it's so you hit the nail on the head. It's the cost. The jacks are generic. And the jacks are relatively um, cost uh, cost effective, and patients have access. There's no doubt in my mind that I would start a jack before methotrexate. Methotrexate has a lot of side effects. Uh, there are tolerability issues, uh, but also adverse events that occur. And uh, each one of the jacks, uh, baricitinib. Tofacitinib, Upatacitinib, uh, I think even Fogadinib, uh, uh, has demonstrated that they are superior to methotrexate clinically and functionally. Um, so, yeah, I would start with a jack rather than a biologic, um, for sure. Uh, and I may start with the jack uh, five to ten years from now uh, over methotrexate. Whenever I ask that question to our Viennese friend, he says, no study's ever been done, Jack or any drug versus MTX plus low-dose prednisone. And you've never shown that you've beaten that combination. But I, I think that's responsible for a very wide and persistent use of low-dose prednisone, even though the guidelines say to wean people off. I have great trouble getting them off the last few milligrams. Yeah, so that's the issue. The issue, and I've heard that from our friend Vienna as well, <laughs> uh, many times. Um, but uh, he doesn't seem to be to be concerned about using five or ten milligrams of prednisone a day. Um, my patients are. Uh, I may not be concerned if it was two milligrams of, of, of prednisone, three milligrams, but I'm not even sure that five milligrams is safe. Um, and you're exactly correct, but the, the, the ULAR um, recommendations in the ACR guideline both say 
that you can start with it and get it off in three months. Or if you use it for a flare, use it for a short term. But that's not true in practice. So we see that in trials all the time. When you take a look at the background use of um, prednisone uh, in trials, uh, so these are patients with very active disease, obviously, um, but it's 50, 60% on prednisone. And then you take a look at the, the dose, the mean dose is like six and a half milligrams, seven milligrams. So we're not talking about one or two milligrams. Uh, I agree with you, but, but Joseph is, is correct. We don't have that particular trial. Yes, and I don't think we ever will. So thank you very much again for your time, Professor Fleischman. This has been the CSF Author Interview Podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, you can find detailed slide sets available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from and give us some feedback and let us know what you think. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you, Peter.